The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host, and for the next hour, we're going to talk about just about anything related to firearms. We're going to start this uh, show off with a segment we call Collegiate Spotlight, where we um, have a guest from a university that has a shooting program. On today, we've got Mark Roberg, Southwestern Community College in Creston, Iowa. Mark, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Uh, let's just get into it right away. Um, you know, we want to know about the program. What type of shooting program is it? Is it um, NCAA sanctioned? Uh, what What everybody would want to know about it if they've got a kid that's that's a shooter and wants to figure out about how to get their college paid for. Okay, it's uh, uh, we uh, only have shotgun sports. And uh, we concentrate on trap and skeet, although we do compete also in sporting clays and uh, five-stand at certain tournaments. Uh, We're an SCTP program. That's uh, Scholastic Clay Target Program. We're also members of the ACUI. Uh, So every year we uh, try to go to both their tournaments. Last year we went to the Nationals uh, for SCTP out in Ohio. We also go to the ACUI Nationals every year. Um, Our program, uh, uh, as I said, consists of shotgun shooting. Uh, It was started, actually, uh, with a Midway uh, grant, and that grant uh, says that anyone who wants to be on the shooting program, we basically have to take them. They may not make the uh, shooting team, but uh, we're going to work with them, and and, and part of our philosophy on our uh, sports shooting team is to improve throughout the year. You can take, uh, uh, if i got a mid-90s shooter, I'm going to try and make him even a better shooter than that. If we got a guy that's not so uh, experienced, um, uh, we're going to try and make a good shooter out of them also. And uh, that's what we work toward every year. Um, we've had really good success at our, uh, at our program. It started in 2012. And in 2012, 13, 14, uh, we won our conference. Our conference is the uh, uh, Iowa uh, Junior College Athletic Conference, and right now it has eight different teams in it. Uh, uh, We won first place 2012, 13, 14. We were second place last year, or second place in 2015, and uh, third place 2016. Uh, In 14 and 15, why we were undefeated, and uh, we won the state college championships. Uh, the last two years, we've been second in the state college championships. 
when we went out to um, uh, the SCTP Nationals, we didn't shoot particularly well, I didn't think, but we ended up 10th overall and 4th in our division in trap, and then 15th overall in skeet, which I thought was very good considering our guys had had two skeet practices, and most of them had never shot skeet, so um, they did very well. We you also know, it competed. sounds like you have a successful program. I've got a couple of questions. Um, is is the junior college program, is, it, it pertains to shooting a feeder program to the NCAA schools that also have, it, do they come and look to your school to, to see junior college transfers that are going to be able to compete at their level? Uh, yes, they do. In fact, uh, Grandview College, uh, which is a four-year college, uh, they just won uh, their division national championship at the ACU, the Nationals International Skeet, uh, basically used almost all of our kids <laughs> that had, had had transferred over there after their uh, day here. That's that's terrific because International Skeet is also an Olympic sport as well. Yes, correct. Um, we we try to instill every uh, into every shooter the basics of good shooting. Um, you know, we start out right from the beginning with with even if they're experienced uh, with their with you know their stance and their gun mount and everything else, all the regular basics. And as they improve and get to get to that, uh, you know, um, where they're shooting, you know, in the mid nineties, high nineties. Um, you know, we really start working on the mental game then because uh, it's it's all between the ears at that point. How do our listeners get a hold of you if they're interested in more information about your campus? Uh, they can get a uh, get on the internet and look on uh, at the Southwestern Community College. They can just Google Southwestern Community College Creston, Iowa, and our web page will come up, and they can get on it. Uh, go to athletics because we are an actual athletic event. Uh, and uh, then to sports shooting, and there are, they'll give you all the information about sports shooting, uh, bio on me and my assistant coach, and then uh, they also have recruit me forms there, and anyone who would be interested in looking at our program, fill out a recruit me form. I guarantee you I'll be contacting you. That's, that's great information because that's the kind of the stuff that people are really looking for. How many student-athletes do you carry in your program? Well, right now we have 19, but we've carried as many as 31 in the past. Uh, not all does of them your school the... have any scholarship opportunities? Yes, we do. Uh, okay. We didn't before. We don't have them through the college per se, but I do have a the range, which is our home shooting range, uh, supplies me with um, with some scholarship money. So we have. Uh, you know, some scholarships available. They aren't a lot of money, 250 bucks each, but uh, they, uh, you know, they're something. Every um, penny helps. Yeah, that's right. And and our co- shooting program doesn't cost anything. Once you're once you go out for the shooting program, we supply all target shells, uniforms, all the safety gear uh, for the traveling team, travel, lodging, and meals. So shoot for, uh, as much as I was shooting when I was into sporting clays. That that pretty much out outpace the cost of the education i think <laughs> it's 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 fairly expensive but uh, they've made the investment uh, we think it's an important thing for these kids and and uh, uh we don't want them i try to make sure that they don't have to pay anything well that's really great i really appreciate you taking this time to be on the show uh mark i really uh, appreciate all the work that you do with the kids it's something that's real important to me and and we want to get this information out to as many people as we can um thanks once again for being on the show You bet. Thanks. Okay. 
Okay, that was Mark Roberg from Southwestern Community College in Creston, Iowa. Uh, sounds like they got a great shotgun program, and if you've got any kids shooting shotgun that uh, would like to have some help with their education and maybe give them a, a, a path to get into a major university while being able to keep up with their studies at the same time, that might be a way to go, and uh, it'd be worth checking out for sure. Okay, I've got another guest on, and, and I'm really excited to have Bill on. He's been a, a longtime friend of mine, uh, a great friend, um, terrific uh, patron of the uh, shooting sports, and and just can't wait to, to get to spend uh, the next 25 minutes with him. Uh, I want to welcome Bill Buckman to the show. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing great, Kelly. Getting a little bit of rain here in uh, northeast Texas, and uh, we've been spared it from all the uh, other rain that's been going on. So it, it's a pretty happy day. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I've been to your place. You're on. You're not too far from the northern board, northeastern border of, of Texas and Oklahoma. Is that right? That's right. I can I can get to Oklahoma, Arkansas, or Louisiana in just uh, just uh, just a small amount of time. So uh, there's. Uh, a lot of places to travel to, a lot of matches to hit, and a lot of beautiful country. Well, you know, when people think about Texas, they think about Dallas or Houston and, and millions of people all in one place. But but I guarantee you that if you go to Bogota or Bogota, Texas, depends on whether you live there or whether you don't, how you pronounce it, uh, you, you won't see um, more than a handful of people at any one time. Uh, and I think that's probably what you like most about the town that you live in. That's exactly right. Uh, a little town spelled B-O-G-A-T-A, but pronounced Bogota. It's quite a story. But right now it's a sight to see. The cotton is being gathered. It's the biggest cotton crop I, 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 I can ever remember seeing around here. And so uh, with all the hardwood, the cotton, and the cattle, it's, uh, again, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great place to live. You know, back in the 70s, Arizona used to be the third largest cotton producer in the country. Uh, I don't know that we produce any cotton anymore. Uh, used to, when you drive west from Phoenix to either San Diego or L.A., you'd see miles and miles of nothing but cotton. And that just doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, Texas is growing any cotton. It just came back in the last two years. Uh, a company put in uh, a new uh cotton gin and uh, and they truck it about uh, 90 miles uh, radius i guess and they and they roll it up in great big round bales it's 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 a unique operation but it's uh, it's beautiful right now but as i was growing up there was actually people picking and hoeing cotton but now it's uh, it's all modern tech and uh, and uh, it uh, looks looks mighty nice yeah, you know, the Goodyear Tire Company actually created the town of Goodyear out here uh, to grow cotton for their tires back in the uh, 1910s and 20s. And then, of course, we've got the Pima cotton from the Pima Reservation. So, But that's certainly not as big as it used to be, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the one of the things about farming these days is it's become such a high-tech uh, industry just like everything else. If you're not nimble and you can't go with whichever crop is going to yield you the most money on any given season, you're going to get left behind. And I, I have a friend of mine who's a, a farmer in California, and man, he's he's jumping back and forth between corn and, and hay and alfalfa. I mean, you know, whatever's going to make him the most money is what he plants for that season. And I think that's probably the best way to make it. Oh, that's here, here too. It, uh, cotton, uh, 
although cotton is coming back, corn is still is still strong, and soybeans and is strong, and we have a new uh, uh, we'll call it industry just north of. Uh, of our little town, uh, it's an egg farm, and just millions of chickens and billions of eggs and such. So, uh, so the grain is uh, worthwhile for uh, for that uh, industry, if you will. Well, you know, th- thanks for catching us up on your little part of the world. Uh, Texas is a big place. I remember my mom used to always have a saying that. Um, the sun is risen, the sun is set, and here we is in Texas yet because you can't drive across it in one day. Uh, I've driven from Phoenix to, to both to Dallas and to San Antonio, and I don't like that drive because it's a long, long drive. It is, and I try to make it every year to the to uh, to that uh, shooting match at Winter Range, so and and look forward to doing it again uh, soon. That's a great segue into shooting now. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and how you grew up and, and why shooting has been such a big part of your life. Well, uh, my dad had uh, the local drugstore, and uh, he had a couple of small ranches and uh, and a couple of kids, me being the rowdiest and the most uh, that uh, liked the guns. And we had uh, at the store, we sold toys and, and, a, and some sporting goods. So I had Daisy. BB guns, and then I graduated to a, a 117 caliber Benjamin Bellet gun, and then my dad had a 74 Winchester that he loved to go out to the to the ponds uh, on the ranch and shoot turtles and snakes, and so uh, that I got initiated to the to the uh, the 22s, and then uh, in his shotgun and such as that as I grew up, and uh, then uh, at, after college uh, I. Uh, I was fishing in the river with some buddies and and uh, and thought I needed a twenty two pistol and got a twenty two revolver and boy we know where that's gone. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's talk about that. You've been a handgunner forever. Uh, I think when we first met, you were shooting handgun silhouette. Yes, I did. I did handgun silhouettes for about twenty two years, and we met through. Uh, through Richard King, who was my uh, unlimited uh, silhouette uh, gun builder, and, uh, and of course I did numerous McMillan stocks in my XPs with an uh, assortment of different calibers and barrels through the years, and uh, and then of course uh, four gun aggregate was big, and then uh, I shot a, a mixture of productions uh, from starting with a Thompson Center to going to. Uh, MOAs to uh, in the end a lot of uh, Jim Rock's RPMs and uh, and some kind of wild calibers, but uh, and the big 44s uh, and then uh, and then finally uh, Freedom Arms came out with a really big one and uh, that connects me in the Freedom Arms industry and uh, and uh, and that's uh, still my fun guns is Freedom Arms. Well, you know, I sent you a, a text the other day with a photograph from their um, entryway into Been their, there. their right. building. I couldn't get them to give me a tour because they say they don't do that anymore, but I did mention you, and uh, uh, his, his name's Bill, right? No, Bob. Bob, Bob, uh, Bob Baker. Baker? Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. I mentioned you to him, and he says, well, tell him I said hi when you see him. I said, well, he's going to be on my radio show next week, so I'll, I'll mention him. But, you know, that, it's just surprised the heck out of me. I'm driving literally in the middle of nowhere, somewhere between Idaho and Wyoming, and I'm not sure exactly which state it's in. And I saw this sign that said, the world's finest 
uh, firearms. And I thought, well, I got to stop there. And then when I read a little closer, it was Freedom Arms. I said, oh, I know these guys. I'm going inside. So. Oh, yeah. I still shoot Freedom Arms uh, Model 97s in my cowboy action shooting. And uh, and with their 454s, I've, uh, my goodness, have taken 18 bulls with uh, one of those. And I guess I've retired from elk hunting. Uh, uh, but uh, 18 bulls is still pretty good to have under your belt. And some of them are pretty darn good. Well, you've only retired until I ask you to go with me next time. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's a deal. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about what you accomplished in handgun silhouette, just to get some background on, on how good you are with a handgun. Well, in silhouettes, uh, uh, the boat guns, of course, really took me into shooting the 40 out of 40s or 80 out of 80s at uh, internationals because uh, uh, Joyce and I, uh, my light wife, uh, traveled with me, and she was my spotter and timekeeper, and it uh, seemed like in the, in the middle 90s, I really progressed into uh, shooting, becoming a four-gun aggregate champion. I was Texas Big Bull four-gun aggregate champion and top gun, and, and uh, around 90, uh, in the middle uh, 90s, we'll say, and then uh, international high Texas Big Bull four-gun aggregate, and uh, that usually means uh, the four-gun aggregate uh, means that you you did really well with say production unlimited and revolver but to top all that off let's say shooting a, a 78 out of 80 with a production or 78 out of 80 with a revolver and then an 80 out of 80 with unlimited you got to top that off to get that big score with uh standing and uh so standing is what really produced you to be good in uh in the aggregate, and so uh, I did well at that. I, I think at one point I had a like a 151 or a 152 out of 160, which meant uh, somewhere around 34, 35 standing, and that was that was about as good as I ever got. But that was uh, there. Uh, there was there a time for a, for a couple of months. I think I had uh, uh, five uh, 140 or better scores in four gun aggregate in a row. So. Uh, I was hot to trot at that time, but, uh, but so how I, did I, you get involved in cowboy action shooting? Okay. And uh, once you d- tell us about that, then I'm going to let you brag a little bit on on how you've done in that sport as well. Okay. All right. Well, the targets as I got older, the targets uh, the the young folks were nailing these. Uh, if you shot an eighty out of eighty, then you went to the shoot off line at uh, after the, the the big match, and you and you tried to see how many chicken targets at two meters you could hit and if you couldn't do uh, uh oh 14 out of 15 well you was a uh, you, you better run all 15 of them and then they got smaller and uh as i got older i just thought man I, it, it's hard to hit a little a little bitty uh uh let's say a hundred course pig at 200 meters and uh so anyway i had a buddy uh i had uh I had just been uh, inducted into the shootist organization uh, through uh, Jim Wilson and John Taffin, and and uh, with my handgun and this stuff, I guess it got me there and uh, through all the shot shows. But anyway, uh, I was at uh, at the shootist holiday, and they were having a uh, a cowboy match OWSA there, and I knew a guy there that competed, and he was a guitar picker, and we'd got to know each other through. Uh, through our musical thing, and uh, and he said, "Let me show you what it's all about." And he took me out back and grabbed his single action forty-five, and 
and said, this is what we shoot at. Well, I began aiming at the, at, at the rifle target. He said, no, 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 that's, uh, uh, that's not the pistol target. That's the rifle target. And I thought, oh, my, this is going to be nice. Where I'd been shooting five rounds in two minutes, well, I thought, this is up close. But soon did I realize that it's also about speed along with accuracy. But that introduced me to it. And uh, because I shot so many of the silhouette guns with one hand in, in their crazy positions, I thought, well, I'll shoot duelist, which is shooting the, the revolvers with one hand. And, uh, and I did well. Uh, this is about 2000. And by 2004, I thought, uh, I'm going to try black powder. And so we call that Frontier Cartridge Duelist. And so the first year I entered, entered the Nationals, in 2004, and we called it Winter Range, in Phoenix, uh, I won uh, national champion. And then I came back year, I've come back year after year, and uh, I've won a national six times and been runner-up numerous times and uh, seemed to always place well. And uh, and then uh, I went to the world championship and uh, soon won five of those and uh, Shooting black powder and uh, with one hand, and uh, uh, still well, I still do. Still of enter the same class, to... although I'm 72 years old. Yeah, okay, you got to it. I, I was going to say, there's a couple of things I want the listeners to know, and one of them, when you said you weren't a spring chicken, you, you meant it, uh, 72, <laughs> but you're still competing with guys that are much younger than you in a sport where speed, which, you know, is related to age a lot. Um, younger kids are stronger and faster. That's just the way it is. Uh, exactly. So you have to compete against people that, that, you know, don't have that age handicap that you do, and you still do really well. Right. And for a good example is uh, 2016, uh, um, actually 2017 uh, National Championship, uh, I placed third, and here, here I was 71 years old, and it's an open-age class. And uh, anyone, you know, first and second guys are, are, are younger now, not uh, a whole lot younger, but the World Championship has added, uh, added uh, sometimes a, a senior or silver senior frontier cartridge duelist, but still silver senior is 65, and uh, I'm ready for elder statesman frontier cartridge duelist. <laughs> You know, there's something else I want to talk about, too. Um, you shoot handgun, rifle, and shotgun, and it, it's a combination of the three, and in each stage you shoot each one of those things. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh-huh. So it, during one stage, and it's it's all timed, You you maybe you shoot your pistol first, then you shoot your rifle, then your shotgun, or a, a combination of that. And you're usually looking at about a minute and a half to to shoot how many rounds? Well, I better be doing it in under 30 seconds to shoot uh, five, uh, uh, five from each single-action revolver. And uh, each, each stage, as we call it, has got a different, sit- a different way to shoot it, like uh, to double-tap targets, to single-tap, to shoot five in a row, or to shoot alternate uh, one to five, you know, three, two, four. And so you've you got a lot of thinking, but you'll have uh, five from each revolver. Then you might run down to uh, go through the saloon doors, let's say, and uh, shoot uh, uh, 10 rifle rounds from your lever action in a certain sequence. Then maybe you exit the saloon out to the corral and grab your shotgun 
and shoot four knockdowns. And uh, if the knockdown doesn't fall, you you may reload and get it. Uh, because if if it doesn't fall, you get a five second penalty. But if you can load and shoot shoot it, say in less than three seconds, well, it's uh, it's you know it's time gained. But all this needs to be done in the competitive world of of my class uh, below thirty in the. In some of the other classes with guys with two hands, they better be doing it in under 20. So, uh, but but to win a say a world championship or national championship, um, I'm looking at a better average 12 stages in uh, uh, probably less than 26, 25 seconds. And so that's for each, you know, 25 for the pistol, 25 for the shotgun, 25 for the rifle. No, that's total. That's total. Oh, total so that includes moving total, from station to station, rounds. getting anywhere from five to ten rounds of each of them shot, and getting it all done under thirty seconds. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, you need yeah. to, you need to shoot your your, your pistols, and, and and again, the guys with two hands will shoot this a lot faster. But I'm saying in my class, uh, you know, ten rounds from the pistols from the holsters in in less than ten, and certainly ten rounds from your lever in less than ten. And uh, you're you're very competitive with shotgun if you shoot four knockdowns in uh, somewhere around four seconds. Wow, uh, I thought you got into double duelist. I am a double. Uh, our okay. duelist class is, means you can you shoot with one hand. You can trade, say your left gun into your right, but you shoot it with your right. But I do shoot double duelist, which means I am ambidextrous and I shoot. Uh, uh, I will shoot. Uh, Generally, let's say with five targets and, I'm, and you're supposed to sweep, I like to take my right gun. I'll go from right to left, and I'll draw my left gun and go from left to right. Wow, that's amazing. It's, that it's hard for me to believe that you could even keep it straight, which ones you've shot where and what. But, you know, that's part of it. If you don't hit the right sequence or you don't hit the targets the way you're supposed to, having all that in your head and knowing all that, plus putting the pressure of timed, and and you've talked to me about it before, this really is a, a high-pressure thing when you know it's just a matter of a couple of seconds and you watch a guy that, that you're competing with and you're, you're real close with and, and he comes up and has a really good run, all of a sudden you think, man, I've got to do better than my best in order to be able to, you know, so you put a lot of pressure on yourself. It, it's, it's a tough competition. It is. Uh, just this past weekend, uh, I shot a, a big annual match uh, at a club called Badlands Bar 3, which is near me, and it's uh, the match called Coming At You. And uh, I, I knew of about one stage that had really big targets in it, and it was a, a stage where you alternate from uh, this big, tall, slim gym and you shoot him and then had these great big buffaloes that you were to double-tap each three but not the same one. And, and, I, and I thought about that stage for about two weeks, and I went up to shoot it, and, uh, and shooting my pistols, I got out of sequence. I guess I thought since I'd been thinking about it, I was going to be on autopilot. And I end up uh, not shooting all my rounds from my pistols. So one round in the pistol is a five-second penalty. And because I was out of sequence, was 10 seconds. So I was down 15 seconds on a stage I should have shot in 18. So it was like 18 plus 15. And I thought, man, I've just bummed out this match. And uh, my my closest competitor, had uh, he shot it well, but he didn't shoot real well on the uh, on the four stages that I'd shot the day before, I think I had him by about 12. And so it came out to the last day, Saturday. I thought, I've just got to put it together and shoot my game. And I did, and I probably covered the 15 seconds that I'd given him. So I ended up uh, 
I got him by 30 seconds, even though I thought I just messed up so bad because I really had. <laughs> hey, hey, Bill, we've got just about three minutes left, and there's a couple of things I want to cover. If we've really piqued somebody's interest and they want to try to get involved in cowboy action shooting, uh, what's the best way for them to get involved? And Is there a website that they can go to, something they yes. can look yes. up? Yes, sasnet.com. That's S-A-S-S dot net. Single Action Shooting Society. And it's cool. com, or just type in, you know, uh, uh, Single Action Shooting Society. That would get it, too, on your computer. Hey, Billy, it's Zev Nadler here. I wanted to uh, just let you know, I enjoy when you guys come out to Ben Avery. Um, I try to get over there at least, you know, a couple times and watch you guys go through all the different villages they have there. Do you do, you do that, and when do you come by? I come back in February, and uh, my wife, uh, Charlotte, she's sassy boots, and she'll be shooting, too, now, so... Love the name. Have you ever been to Cowtown? They've got a uh, cowboy uh, shooting area as well. Do you end up there, and what time of year are you there? Yes, I usually go to Cowtown uh, in practice on Monday and Tuesday or Wednesday before the big shoot at Winter Range. Oh, okay, great. Awesome. I'll look for you. One thing that we didn't mention is this cowboy action shooting is a lot more than just having guns and shooting. You have to dress uh, a period appropriate. You've got to have appropriate cartridges, appropriate guns, and the women have to dress up appropriately too. It's so oh much my, fun. Yes. Everybody gets involved. That's right. You, you've got kind of you, you you dress uh, period correct from the OS, a uh, uh, pre nineteen hundred, or you can choose a category that's uh, silver screen B western, and you de- dress like uh, Roy and Jean and wear Bescadero holsters, but uh, uh, several classes have certain limits uh, and regulations of what you wear and what you shoot, uh, and then there's age-based categories, of course, And uh, um, but uh, there's a lot of things to choose from in the game uh, and, and lots of different categories. Well, everybody has an alias, and you're Billy Boots, and the reason that you picked that, I know personally, is because you have custom boots made, and you wear your pants inside your boots, so the, the top portion of the boots show, and they've, they're always really finely hand-tooled and beautiful boots, so uh, Billy Boots is, is your name when you're out there shooting. Everybody knows who Billy Boots is. That that's right. That, my 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 hat. I wear my old crushed in Billy, a Billy the Kid looking uh, hats. Kind of a a thing that sets me off. And then my uh, boots, my boots fits. And uh, and then Sassy, she likes to dress up uh, uh, the same way also. Well, Billy, we're just about out of time. I want to tell our listeners one more secret about you, uh, something that, that I haven't shared. You know, everybody that, that hears an accent like yours knows you're from Texas and, and assumes that, that you're a, a country western guy. But I want you to know that Billy was a rock and roll drummer when he was uh, in his early manhood and, and is a huge blues fan now. Not that he doesn't like country music, but, but he, uh, you would consider yourself more of a blues favorite, right? That's that's right. I didn't play much blues in the '60s, but uh, but uh, I was pretty good rock and roll drummer. <laughs> well, Billy, it's been really great having you on. You know how much I love you. Thanks for doing the show for me. Really appreciate it, and I can't wait till you get out here in February. All right, sounds good. I'm I'm ready to come to uh, come to Arizona. Thanks, Billy. Thank great. you, Kelly. Thanks for having yeah. me. You're welcome. And I want to ask our listeners to stick around for the next minute and a half or so while we take a commercial break, and we'll be right back with our next guest. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gunstock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Thanks for sticking around during the commercial break. Really appreciate it. Uh, what a great guest Billy is, and he's he's such a good guy. I've known him for about 25 years, and uh, he, we've just been close. We fished and and uh, partied and and you know traveled together. He's just just a wonderful guy and, and a tremendous shooter. I hope everyone understood what an accomplished shooter he is in both. Uh, handgun silhouette and in cowboy action shooting our next guest is famous in his own right um carl bernoski is probably one of the best nra high power long range national champions that we've had is when numerous um national championships uh, i, I want to invite carl to the show now carl thanks for being on the show with me oh thanks for asking me kelly it's uh it's my pleasure uh, I'd, uh, let's just let our listeners get to know you a little bit, talk about where you grew up, um, you know, how you got into guns and why it became so prevalent in, in your life. Sure. Uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania, eastern Pennsylvania, and uh, in, you know, in our area we've had uh, small bore rifle leagues and high-power rifle leagues and obviously good hunting also. And uh, my dad was a shooter. He shot in both leagues, and uh, I, you know, I grew up watching him go to rifle matches and couldn't wait for the day that I could go. And uh, you know, shooting my BB gun, my pellet gun, finally Granddad's uh, 22, and I started shooting small bore league and high power rifle leagues with my dad, and I just expanded it to a another level. And uh, of course, Dad stepped aside and helped me, you know, with my reloading and 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 paying for all this stuff and. And, uh, you know, taking it on the next level, I ended up winning national championships and just had a great time in the shooting sports. And uh, it's, it's, it's taken me a long way, and uh, it's gotten me a lot of accolades, and, and it's, just, it's just been my life. Well, t- let's talk a little bit more about the, the actual type of competition that you've, you've chosen to, to make your focus. I know your national championship was in high power. Uh, explain to our listeners who may not know exactly what, 
high power, small bore, what those things mean, uh, exactly what type of course of fire it is and what kind of rifles you use? Sure. Uh, high power rifle back in the 70s when I started, and I won my first national championship in 77. I was the youngest person to do it at the time, uh, and still am. But uh, it was uh, we were shooting 308s. Uh, the course of fire was uh, 200 or 200 yards standing, uh, 20 shots for record, and then we shot a rapid fire sitting, uh, 60 shots or uh, 10 shots in 60 seconds, two strings. Uh, then we went to 300 yards and shot. Uh, two strings of 10 shots in 70 seconds, then you move back to 600 yards, and you shoot uh, uh, 20 shots in uh, 20 minutes, and uh, it's all, that was all with the metallic sights. And so that's what they called, or used to call, across the course? It used to be called across the course, 30 caliber, oh, okay. yes. Okay. So and, and then, you, and then later on, you know, they, they got rid of the 30 caliber, and we started going to uh, 7 millimeters and 6.5s and 243s. And, you know, the, the guns have uh, evolved, and uh, you had to evolve with the guns. And, and uh, so right now we can you know, pretty much shoot any caliber you want. Um, I know during one time the long-range guys were shooting uh, semi-autos uh, back then called black guns. Uh, did they ever make their way into the across the course? They did. Uh, you know, the first I, my first uh, six national championships, I won with a bolt gun. It was a pre-64 Model 70, you know, in a wood stock, and uh, later on a fiberglass stock, and uh, then. You know, I took a couple of years off. I've taken a couple of leaves from high power to go shoot other things. And uh, this, the last time I had come back to start shooting, uh, I won my last four national championships with uh, an AR platformed, uh, AR-15 platform rifle, and I shoot a six Hagar. So yeah, the semi-automatics have moved in. Uh, so and right now you got good cartridges that could give you the great ballistics of 600 yards, you know, rather than the 223. So when they when the AR-15 platform was able to shoot six millimeter bullets, it became a a platform to deal with. So when you were shooting across the course, did you also always shoot long range? I, I I never shot a whole lot of thousand yards uh, in my in my part of the country. The long, long range is actually a thousand yards in the Palma, eight nine and a thousand. We only had one range. We had Quantico, Virginia, and we had Camp Perry, Ohio. So to put a gun together and to shoot that uh, at one time, you know, twice a year, uh, I spent my time shooting across the course rather than uh, trying to get a gun together to shoot the long range stuff or, uh, you know, the low development and everything. I just only had limited amount of times and that was taking more time than I, I really wanted to spend at it uh, in order to be, you know, in order to be proficient. Now that I'm older, I'm looking at more prone though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you shoot with a sling or do you shoot F-class? I shoot all sling right now. Uh, okay. I shoot, shoot all prone. Well, I know you're not young because you told us, well, you didn't tell us exactly how old you were in 1977 when you won your first national championship, but you were young. Um, yes. But I know a, a lot of guys get tired of, of slinging in and getting all wrapped up and twisted and, and think it's going to be an easy transition to F-class, but it's been my understanding that some of the better sling shooters didn't automatically become the very best F-class shooters as soon as they made that transition. It's not really something that is a, a given that just because you're a good sling shooter, you're, you'll all of a sudden be a really good F-class shooter. Why is that? 
Well, I, I, I believe the biggest part of it is, that, is being a sling shooter. When I develop my load, uh, you know, my am, ammunition to shoot sling, long range or mid range, you know, I'm, 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 I have to hold a gun up with a sling. So if I have a gun that shoots half a minute of angle, the target's a minute of angle, I've got, you know, I have a, I have a half minute of angle error that I can deal with. Uh, the F-class shooters and, and, and like bench rest, you have a half, and the target is smaller. You need a gun that will shoot well, well within a half minute, probably closer to a quarter minute. And it's all wind reading, really. It's equipment and wind reading. And I think it takes a little bit of time to uh, for the sling shooters to decide that, yeah, I really do have to take my time to, to load my ammo. I really, I really do have to weigh out each powder charge. I really do have to anneal my neck. So I, you know, I really do have to, you know, lo- you know. Uh, you know, seat my primers with, you know, to see how, what the poundage is on the, or not primers, but the bullets to see what the poundage is on my reload and, and separate all this stuff. And I think a lot of guys just don't want to do that, and they fall away. Or you learn how to do it, and you start competing. I'm really glad you brought that up, Carl, because that's something that I've noticed over uh, the length of time that I've been really focusing on marketing to the, the F-class group, both in the open and FTR. You can have a gun that is capable of putting every round in the X-ring at 1,000 yards if, if there were no conditions. Right. So just because you can get a gun and, and you've got fairly decent trigger control and get it to break when you want to doesn't mean you're going to score really well because reading the wind is such a huge part of the game and mirage and everything it takes to read the conditions that you know it's not just a shooting game. No, exactly, exactly. And reading, reading the wind is, uh, you have to do it. You have to do it uh, all the time, and different ranges give you different readings. Uh, so you have, to, you have to be flexible with what the wind's doing. And, yet, and it's really critical because the target is smaller F-class. Uh, you, know, and, you know, the bench rest, the long-range bench rest, they find a condition and shoot five shots real fast to keep it in the same condition. You know, the F-class shooters don't get to do that. they gotta, they got to have the right dope for every shot, which may be 30, 30 seconds you know, away from your last shot. So you really just can't you know, string fire and get there. You've got to be able to see what, know what the wind is doing, and, and that's a talent in itself. Yeah, exactly. Now, do, did you have a coach when you were shooting uh, across the course? Uh, basically my dad and I had another, another, a good friend of ours, uh, that my, my dad helped along when he was younger. His name was Richard Egoff. Uh, he, he sort of took me under his wing and, you know, we'd go down to Quantico and we'd sit behind the real good long range shooters that you know shooting 600 yards and we'd, we'd both sit there in the telescope and he'd tell me what the wind was doing and, and, uh, uh you know, a couple of the other guys down at Quantico, cause I was so young, they sort of put me under their wing too and, you know, helped me along with the wind reading and, if they thought I was doing something wrong, rapid fires, they would, uh, you know, help me out. But I was always a strong, really, really strong standing shooter. So that, that helped me through, you know, all of my competitions. One of the things that I love about this radio show and talking to a bunch of different people is a lot of people who, who knew my dad. And my dad was really good friends with Diggy, Dick Egoff. They, they considered yeah. each other friends. And Dick spent a lot of time yeah. out in Phoenix with us. And uh, my dad always really appreciated him. So when I, I heard his name, it just it made, it brought a big smile to my face because it remem- you know, reminds me of my dad. And, and that, that's important to me. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, so my question about the coach was more about in F class and in team. Did did you have a team competition in over the course, or is that strictly individual? No, no, we have team competitions, and you always have a coach. You know, uh-huh. a lot of times it's a firing member, but when you shoot your best scores, you have a 
you have a designated coach that can watch everybody. When I was shooting, you know, back back in the early days, uh, you know, Dick was always our coach because he was the best wind reader. So he would, you know, he would uh, he he knew us. Uh, you know, he knew that he could come up with to me on a rapid fire string. And after I shot two shots, he could give me a correction, and I could do the correction and just continue on firing. You know, and so he knew us. He knew the wind. Uh, you know, when I was shooting in the last couple years of shooting with the Remington team, uh, uh, Ken Roxborough from he was a Marine. He was our coach there, and he he took care of all the wind reading responsibilities and, and just left us uh, squeeze the trigger. So you know, a coach is is real important on team matches. It's fun to shoot under a coach because you can you can uh, you, you don't have to worry about the wind type things. You can you can just concentrate on your own performance. And uh, you have to trust each other. You have to trust the coach that he's given you the the right corrections, and he has to be able to trust you that you're going to shoot it where he told you to, so right. that he can see that the results are going to either yield a different uh, yep. change. So yeah, I can see how that, that it, when you talk about team, you don't think about shooting being a team sport. But I saw in the in the World Championships how incredibly important that trust between shooter and coach is all along the way. Every single guy on the yep. team. Yeah, that's right. You got to have full, you know, full faith in what the, what your coach tells you. And uh, when he says shoot, you shoot. You know, there's no second guessing. And you know, if he's a good coach, he'll be right. And if he's if he is wrong on it, he he, he accepts it and gives you a correction. And you go on. And and as a shooter, you do the same thing. You know, you you always try to give him a, give him a good shot. And sometimes you don't. And uh, even when you make a good shot, he you you, you have to work together and, and trust each other. Yep, and that's what makes great teamwork. And uh, you know the U.S. Uh, FDR team, which was the one that I was most closely involved with, uh, had great success at uh, the World Championships in Canada in August, and it was so much fun watching that camaraderie. Yes. Uh, I was really honored uh, when one of the coaches handed me his gold medal and and wanted me to have it. And I thought, you know, this is, I don't know what to say. He says, I want you to have it. That That's all you need to know. So that, that was really cool. And no, um, Ken Reeves so, is a real nice guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so all of the shooting and competition got you into the firearms industry. Right. Uh, tell us what what you do, what your business is, how people can get a hold of you if they're looking to find a, a, a gun builder or, or, you know, stocks, what, whatever it is that you offer. Yeah, well, I, 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 I came up in a family furniture business, and, and being a family business, uh, at one point everybody retired on me, and I was the only one left. And I, I had to start something else, and my passion for shooting and guns, I always wanted to build rifles. And I thought, well, now's the time, and I had the opportunity to start duplicating stocks, uh, for for Alex Sitman at Masterclass Stocks, and uh, you know he he liked what I what I gave him, and uh, I started doing my own work. I learned how to inlet and bed, and uh, bought machines to you know do the inletting and and put barrels on, and it just it just grew. And uh, I you know right now I I enjoy it more than any work I've ever done. Uh, so I do mostly I duplicate stocks. I duplicate uh, in in laminates or hardwoods or you know uh, any. You know that type of a, a wood in different patterns. Uh, I, I supply a lot to Alex Sitman, some for myself, and, and a couple other gunsmiths around the country. Uh, you know, get stocks for me, plus individual customers too. So you're making mostly sling guns or F class or combination. Well, it's 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 gone. It's evolved. You know, at one time it was across the course stocks, and it became a lot of prone stocks. 
then it was the F-class stocks, and now FTR stocks. So uh, they're they're all evolving. So right now, I would say it's more F-class, F uh, you know F-class and FTR stocks than anything you know right now. Uh, you know, probably probably eight to one on prone stocks now. You know, I found out um, not too long ago that that nobody really ever, at least we didn't for sure, ever design a stock specifically for FTR simply because we felt like, well, you know, they're shooting off a bipod. What can you do to make a stock a better stock? And, And it just showed how little I knew about the sport. Once I learned that that relationship between the forend of the stock and the butt stock and the, the rudder, which, which runs in that rear bag, is so incredibly important on sure. how that gun recoils and how easy it is to get back on the target and, and to, to you know, shoot consistently, um, then we designed a stock that... It, Yes. took those things into consideration and have have had really good success with the stocks that we made. Now, yeah. that's the kind of stuff that you do. Somebody will, will give you a pattern and says, can you duplicate this in uh, laminated wood and, and, and you duplicate it? Not, not, not usually. We have our own patterns that we've okay. developed uh, through the years. And uh, you know, if, if somebody wants an F-class stock from me, we I, we use the ma- I would call it. I still, you know, even though I've helped design it, I always still call it the master-class stocks. And uh, we have an F-class stock that we use there. Uh, if somebody sends me a, if somebody sends me one of your stocks and says duplicate it, I won't do it. You know, it's uh, you know, why why would I do that? You know, it's uh, it's uh, it, it's just you know I. Uh, we have our own design. Uh, you have your design, uh, and I have enough. I have enough work, and like you too, you know. Uh, uh, I don't think you've ever been. And you know, your, a lot of your stocks have been used to duplicate. You know, and or, or you know, I think basically it all started off with an Anschutz prone stock that people made. You know, design changes through, and you can see that through all the F class and the F class FDR stocks. It all a little bit of variations going through. So, you know, it's uh, there, there's a lot of different designs out there, and and uh, what I like to do is I like to use the patterns I have here, and you know, and it keeps it keeps me busy. I don't, I, you know, it, it works out the way we've been doing it. So, if somebody wanted a stock and they wanted your pattern, they'd call you up and ask you for it. What if they wanted to to have you build a complete rifle? You doing that? I do that too. Yeah, uh-huh. I do that. I, I can do the metal work, and uh, you can, they can send me an action, and we'll do the barrel for them and bed the whole thing. Uh, you know, and you know, finish it. Uh, you know, you know, change we, with the wood stocks and the laminate stocks. We can we can change things around a little bit. We can give them a bigger toe on the back end if they want it. Uh, we can give them a smaller forend if they want it. Uh, put you know finger grooves in it if they want you know and then then do the finish and, and ship it you know directly to the customer so so would you rather have them provide you with the components say for example send you a, an action and a barrel and a trigger or yes. do you go out and get those things for them if they ask you to no, I, I like to have the customer uh, supply what he wants. I mean, there's so many good options out there. When they ask me, it's like, like you know, there's everything is so good today. You know, uh, it, it, there's hardly any difference between good actions and and good triggers and uh, you know, good barrels. Uh, you know, for and and for me to uh, to 
to spend my time uh, purchasing this stuff on the internet or you know, purchasing this stuff for the customer just just a waste of time for me I'd rather be cutting wood so I let them do their I'll give them suggestions what I like but I just assume the the customer send me the the parts and I'll I'll put them together and send them back a a, a full a full good shooting gun there's also another advantage. You don't have to be out all the money for the barrel and the receiver and the trigger while yeah. you're building the gun. Let the customer front that up front so you don't have nearly as much investment in the gun. That, exactly. That, I wish I could have run my business that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it works out so much cleaner, you know, because they get what they want. And, uh, you know, and uh, I, like I said, you know, when you're, when you're, it's it's amazing how much time you spend on the phone looking for parts and ordering right. parts and and unpacking them when they come in, making sure they're right. You know, you know, spend, sending the check out to pay for them and and all that kind of stuff. And that's just you know, to me, that's wasted time. I'd rather be uh, making sawdust. How would people get in touch with you if they were interested in any of the work that you do? Yeah, I have a web page. Uh, it's not updated very well right now. I got to get, I got to get working on that one. Uh, but it's at Carl. It's you know, my email is Carl at CarlBernoski dot com, and my web page is www dot dot com. Awesome. And so, as you said, you need to update it, but they can basically get it's in touch with the, you, send you an email, and, and talk to you sure, about um, sure, what you sure, want. Sure. The information. I'm sorry. And the you're, information you're still there. In Pennsylvania. It's just the pictures life. are a little old. <laughs> But that's all right if it's a picture of me because I look so much younger. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could use a younger picture, too. I get too many people calling me on it. Right. (laughs) You know, I I was a kid when you and I met. I mean, I felt like it. I think you're younger than I am, but it seemed like like I was a kid. Um, And I graduated from high school in 1972. I I graduated in 74, so you know how old I am. Yeah, so but yeah, we, uh, yeah, we first met when I was a younger picture, but then I feel so embarrassed when I showed up at the shot show and everybody said, "Where's your kid?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, you and I first met at Sportsman. You're shooting Sportsman's Team Challenge. We used to come out and shoot the Arizona Regional, and and of course down in Texas. And I know that's the first time you know we really you know met, shook hands, and and uh, you know that was that's quite a few. You years shot ago, with but. Wig, right? Yes, I shot with Wig. Yeah, yep. uh, he was yep. on my show just last week. Such, you know, he's such a great guy. Um, you and I saw each other when I asked you to be on the show. Was at his yes. 80th uh, birthday celebration. That was yep. such a, a unique honor just to be there and and witness that. I've known Wig since uh, you know, and I didn't tell this story. I told it on the radio though. Um, he, he was shooting an HS Precision stock at the National uh, High Power Silhouette Championships and had a problem with the stock, so. Through another guy, he asked my dad if my dad would work on the stock to fix it for him. And, of course, I said, what would you tell him? And my dad says, I said, yeah, Yeah. but what would you tell him? He said, yeah, I told him I would. Yeah, right, right. Well, when I started shooting, I started shooting international, and and, uh, it's the first time I met uh, uh, Colonel Wigger was down at Fort Benning. And and I had already won high-power championships, uh, you know, I guess a handful of them, and and uh, as soon as I started shooting international, and we we became pretty good friends. Then he used to help me uh, with the hotel rooms to go to Phoenix for the national championships, and then we, you know, the team challenge stuff. He asked me to shoot with him, and we shot. And uh, so what an honor to just know him, let alone shoot with him. You know, he's just a, just a great guy, and you know, it's uh, you know, I'm 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 honored to be able to have to been able to shoot with uh, a guy I respected from you know from the time I started shooting. Really? Yeah, and you guys did very well. 
Yeah, we did. We shot well. You know, we we had a, we had a good group of people, and we worked hard at it. You know, it was just like you know, we took nothing for granted either. You know, if we were going to shoot Team Challenge, he made sure we shot regionals and practices, and then uh, and uh, you know, you got to in order to shoot well, you, especially in a team format like that, you got to shoot with each other. You just can't show up and and expect things to go well. Exactly, and you shot with Richard Aiken as well, right? Richard Aikens was on the team with us also, yes. Yep. Yeah, he, he was, was my shop foreman for a while and until he, he got an allergy to some of the chemicals that we used and yeah. became such a, a, a tremendous physical burden for him, he couldn't do it anymore. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's funny how small this world is. I, I love Sportsman Team Challenge. I was never really good at it. I mean, I didn't spend a lot of time, so I didn't expect to be very good. But I did win a B-class national championship, so... I'm happy to be able to say that. That's that, that's the most uh, <laughs> rewarding experience I've had in, in, in shooting competition. Right, right. Well, that's good. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, like so we've just we... got just a couple of minutes left, Carl. Mm-hmm. Um, you, uh, you, you talked about shooting a little bit of small bore. And back, I think back in the 70s and 80s, they still were shooting a little bit of of center fire in international competition. Now it's strictly small bore. Um, was there any reason why you didn't continue with small bore back then, or it just just wasn't as exciting for you, or what? No, I shot I shot small bore. I shot international for uh, probably ten or eleven years. I, I made the national team and had made the traveling team to shoot World Cups. Uh, I became international distinguished. Um, I shot air rifle, and I won Camp Perry. I was the first civilian to ever win Camp Perry small bore, um, and then won an indoor small bore championship and an indoor air, air rifle championship. Uh, so I had, I had a pretty good run. Uh, and what happened to me is I, I was older before I ever started shooting international. I was already married and had two two children. And uh, by by early nineties, uh, Colorado Springs had opened up. Uh, the AMU had gone. Uh, you know, pretty much you could you could just say I want to shoot, and you know, sent it to the AMU. And as a civilian that was working, uh, I just I just couldn't compete at that level anymore. So uh, I I sort of I, I went back to high power and then started shooting sporting clays and team challenge and NRA action pistol and the other stuff. So uh, I didn't get tired of it. Uh, I just couldn't compete at it anymore uh, to the level that I wanted to to, to make teams. You know, so. I just stepped aside and let let the next generation come in. Well, you know, I really have appreciated you being on the show, Carl. We're just about out of time. Um, uh, I'm glad that I drug that last little bit out of you because I wanted everybody to know what a really tremendous shooter you were. And it didn't really matter what discipline you were shooting. You were successful. And I think Wig would agree that that about 50% of that was shooting ability and 50% was competitiveness because you don't get to be top national champion level international champion caliber shooter without having that real drive to win and and I, I thought it was uh, unique when Wig said it took him about five years to learn how to shoot and then about five years to learn how to win right yep that's exactly right you know, and I had a lot of people help me out along the way. They, you know, the the how to win part of it, uh, because of the people I I had met through 
you know, through the years, they sort of gave me a little bit of shortcut on that stuff. And Wig was one of those people. And, and uh, you know, you, you, all you have to do is watch these guys shoot. And I never missed an opportunity to watch a good shooter shoot. All you have to do is sit behind them and watch them and, and watch how they shoot, watch how they uh, attack, the, you know, the, the, the sport that they're shooting at the time, and you'll learn something. And that'll, that'll give you shortcuts along the way. Well, Carl, I'm sorry, but we're out of time. It's been great having you on the show. I really enjoyed getting to spend this time with you. Uh, would like to invite you back when we got a little bit more time and, and we can do a little bit more reminiscing. Yeah, anytime. I, was, I enjoyed, enjoyed speaking with you, and I always enjoy talking to you when we run into each other. Awesome. I look forward to the next time. Okay. Look forward to it, Kelly. Thanks. Bye. And I want to remind all of our listeners that we'll be here again next week on voiceofamerica.com for Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Uh, I want to thank you for spending your time with me. It's, uh, it's a great Friday, so go out there and have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.